In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. We are in God's presence here. The Eucharist is the place where God has chosen to be closest to us on this earth. Jesus, you remain with us, and we're grateful for your presence here. And we want to spend this hour or so, hour and a half, this evening, close to you, listening to you. And he remains with us, calling us to follow me. Come follow me, he says repeatedly in the scriptures, and he says it to you and me right now. Come follow me. He invites us to follow in his footsteps on this earth as a path to the best life we can live and even better to the path to the glory of heaven. And he shows us the way in his life, which we read every day in the scriptures. Our life has a destination, and there's a clear pathway to get there. To seek Christ, to find Christ, and to love Christ. And then to bring him everywhere with us. Today we celebrate the 95th anniversary of the founding of Opus Dei. And I think we'll have a special champagne toast if Lou has come through for us and, and some other people. Oscar, I think. Um, the beginning of a worldwide apostolic work 95 years ago by an unknown 26-year-old priest in Spain, 1928. And now Opus Dei carries out his apostolates in some 60 countries. And this Friday, October 6, will be the 22nd anniversary of his canonization, the canonization of St. Jose Maria in Rome by John Paul II before a crowd of some 400,000 people. Huge crowd, one of the biggest canonizations ever. And it all began with one man who said yes to God and tried to fulfill God's will in his life. And today, now is an invitation to each of us 
to say yes to God. Here, Jesus is here, looking at you. We're with him. It's a moment to say yes and to let him more profoundly, deeply into my life. To follow him more closely each day, to give new meaning to my life, to my work, to my marriage, to my difficulties, to my suffering. to seek Christ, to find Christ, and then to love Christ. It's the path for our life. Do I seek him each day? And if I seek him, I'll find him. If I find him, I'll love him. There's no greater goal for our life because once we have him, we have everything. If we don't have him, even if we have all the world, we have nothing. And many people today in the world are running after nothing, and they know they're running after nothing, and it gives them a lot of anxiety because they know there's nothing there. Trying to create a world without God, a life without God, a life means a life without meaning. And it's like there's nothing there, and it creates anxiety. If you want to really have a good life, a community, a peaceful world, you need that sense of God that makes us all brothers and sisters worth sacrificing for. Don't let them take that away from us. We have to live it ourselves. Ninety-five years ago, this morning, Opus Day did not exist. 95 years ago this morning, Opus Day did not exist, not even as a vague dream in the mind of a young priest. It didn't exist as an idea. It didn't exist as a pipe dream in the head of several people. It wasn't imagined. It wasn't planned by anybody. It wasn't even desired. Yet in the mid-morning, between 10 and 11 a.m., on Tuesday, October 2nd, 1928, while the bells of the Church of Our Lady of the Angels were ringing for the Feast of the Holy Guardian Angels, between talks on the retreat he was making with six other priests, Jose Maria Escrivá said he saw Opus Dei. That's how he explained what happened to him on that day. Three years later, battery went dead. Three years later, he wrote, I received an illumination about the entire work while reading those papers. Deeply moved, I knelt down and gave thanks to our Lord. I remember with a heart full of emotion the ringing of the bells of the Church of Our Lady of the Angels in the distance. 
What did he see? What did you show him, Lord, on that October 2nd? On that day, he saw mostly laymen and priests, but no women. He saw that God was calling men who were fully immersed in the world, as well as priests. But at the same time, there were to be men of God. Men who were well-formed in doctrine and spiritual life, but also well-formed in their work, whether it's a trade or a profession or whatever it might be, high or low. That they were men immersed in the world who loved the world and participated in the world of work, but were not men of the world. Men in the world, but not men of the world, not worldly men lost running behind the almighty dollar and success and prestige. Men participating in all the fields of human endeavor, business, arts, university, medicine, engineering, laborers, office workers, but men who were on fire with the love of Christ and who would spread that blaze in every place and every type of work right where they were in the world. That they would bring God back, this divorce that was happening in the last several hundred years of, of, of God being separated, ejected from his creation. They would bring it back through their presence there in their excellence in their work, but doing it for love of God in their witness to their friends, but doing it not as preachers, but as friends, colleagues, neighbors, relatives, who are there not as missionaries, but there because they belong there. This was their place. In October 2nd today, is also the Feast of the Guardian Angels. We saw in the reading last week for the Feast of the Archangels, Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, that in the reading for the book of Daniel, the throne of God is surrounded by myriads of angels. It says 10,000 times 10,000 angels, that God has created an enormous abundance of angels in the world. And that we're reminded that from the beginning, the church has believed in angels and that each person is so precious to God. Each individual person is called by God and has an angel entrusted to him, a guardian angel, to accompany him or her through life. And so St. Josemaria always saw that it was not a coincidence that this message of the call to holiness in the world of ordinary people, that being in the world was not an obstacle to being close to God, but it was a place where we meet God, 
in our work, in our families, in the challenges of each day. That the fact that it happens on the Feast of the Guardian Angels only stresses that point of how important every person is to God. Every soul is to our Lord. That he gives them an angel to watch over them, to guard them, protect them as they go through life. You too have a guardian angel. You too have an angel who's done many favors for you, whether you realize it or not. And we will not know until we get to the other side exactly how many or what favors our guardian angel has done for us, but it probably will be very interesting. Hey, you know that time you almost got run over by that bike? You know, you know that time you just missed that train? You know, well, that was me. Kind of, you know. There's a story of the woman who's looking for a parking space in New York who says, guardian angel, please find me a parking space. You know, and the car pulls out right in front of her. It's just, that's okay, guardian angel, I found one. So, but our guardian angel does many things for us. And he will help us even more if we turn to him and ask him for things. And that's something we think about today, the Feast of the Guardian Angels, to realize I have this accomplice, this great accomplice. The teaching on Guardian Angels emphasizes how special each one of us is before God. Thank you, Lord. We can say to each one of us right now, if we want to, to Jesus who's here, Thank you for giving me this angel. May he not watch over some kind of superficial, shallow life. May he accompany me on this path towards holiness of trying to be a better follower of you every day. May I make use of him. When I feel myself tempted, when I feel myself falling, when I feel myself not in the right path, do I call out to my guardian angel? We can talk to him right now, too, because we have to dress ourselves to our guardian angel. That's how it works. Do I take advantage of him? When St. Jose Maria saw Obis Day that day, It was so clear to him that there would never be women in Opus Dei, but then 15 months later, after he'd recently written, there will never be women in Opus Dei because he didn't see them on October 2nd, 1928. Celebrating Mass on February 14th, 1930, he saw again that God wanted women in Opus Dei. And he interpreted this dual founding as an indication that God wanted there to be two independent sections of Obis Dei, one for men, one for women, that would give formation separately. That's why you may look around and don't see any women here tonight, even though a woman may have, may have sent you here tonight. But um, so we give that formation separately because it's tailored to the audience. 
I don't talk as loud when I preach to women, for example. It's a whole different tone when you're sitting in a group of women. You talk very nicely, you sort of say things in a different way, and you emphasize different things than men need to hear, you know. Women stay awake too, so. But anyway, um, but that's another marvelous thing that there are men and women Opus Dei because St. Jose Maria said, I'm not doing what I want to do, I'm doing what God showed me to do. And he said, if I was doing Opus Dei the way I wanted to, it would be different. But I have to obey what God has shown me, this message he's entrusted to me. And he humbly accepted that new task of having to deal with women, too. And St. Jose Maria told anyone who came near him in those early days that this work was not his. He didn't like to be called founder because he insisted that you, Lord, God was the founder of Opus Dei, not him. He didn't plan it, he didn't want it, he didn't expect it. Rather, it was a divine task received from God. And he set his whole life towards carrying it out, carrying out this mission you gave to him. Nevertheless, the way forward for him was not marked out. He, had, he was 26 years old. He was supporting his mother and two siblings, yet his dreams were big. In 1932, in his spiritual diary, he could write, a human instrument, impoverished and sinful, planning with your inspiration to conquer the world for God from the extraordinary vantage point of an inner room in a simple dwelling, where every discomfort is to be found. He knew God wanted him to do something, but he was nobody, had nothing. He was living in this cramped little bedroom where he could barely shut the door and have the chair by the desk in the same place. And he says, I've got to start something for the whole world. And he didn't know how to do it, and he had no means. And the, and the church is falling apart in Spain, 1931. They're beginning to burn churches, convents, beginning the Spanish Civil War. It's a terrible time. And we all know by now that most startups fail. And when someone tries to make his idea reality, it's always a very scary enterprise. Is it going to make it? Nine, to, nine out of ten fail. But for St. Jose Maria, he never doubted the success of what he was doing. No matter how difficult it was, no matter how many obstacles, and he had to cross mountain ranges to explain it to people, to get people to understand it. In a very clerical Spain of 1928. But he never doubted that it would go ahead because he knew it would go ahead because God wanted it. Because it wasn't his. Because he said, this is not my plan. It's not my idea. 
It's not something I want to do. Do something God wants to happen. And God gave him great graces and little by little showed him what to do and filled his heart with great love for God and others, but also filled him with great sufferings. His own uncle, a priest, told people that his nephew was crazy, doing something crazy. His own priest friends who were advising him and helping him advised him not to even start a student residence in 1934 when he had nothing. He said, oh, let's start a residence for giving formation to students. They said, it's going to fail. You don't have the money. This is not going to work. But he pushed ahead. He pushed ahead. Humanly, it didn't make any sense. The church was falling apart. The country was falling apart. And he's trying to build something. They spoke to young people of all walks of life about this project, as some followed him, but many soon lost enthusiasm and deserted him without even saying goodbye. And he said, they slipped through my fingers like eels. And people called him a madman to the bishop. They called him a heretic, a deceiver. But Lord, you gave him strength, and he pushed forward when everything seemed impossible. He pushed forward when every door seemed closed and barred. He pushed forward when all his advisors said he was crazy, impossible. He pushed forward even when his best people were taken from him through death. His first priest who was closest to him died. First young, one of the first young guys who really was a leader and had a good job, dies. 32 years old. He pushed forward for approvals from the Vatican, even when they told him, you've come 100 years too soon. There's nothing like this in the church. And from all this, he drew a lesson, the most important lesson, to rely to not rely on anything human, any human means, but to rely on God, to rely on prayer, to rely on the Mass and the Eucharist, to draw his strength from you, Lord, to sink his roots in his spiritual life, to turn to the guardian angels to help him, to prayer, to penance, and to the Blessed Virgin Mary, his mother. Lord, may we learn the lesson too, in the face of difficulties that we all will have to face, when doors seem closed, and people say it's impossible, and the world looks like it's falling apart, to not give up, to not give in, to not just seek the applause of others, but to turn to our Lord for that strength and to fulfill his will in your life, to do the right thing, the good thing. When all is falling apart around you, and people say it's crazy, you're wasting your time, to destroy your strength from Jesus. You are the source of all my strength, Lord. We can say to him now if you want, Lord, be my strength.
We will always encounter obstacles in the world, but we're not alone. Turn to him. Turn to your guardian angel. Watch him. Learn from him. Sink your roots into him. And ask his help and strength and go forward living with faith and charity. And our life will be a great success. The first members of Opus Day were all celibate lay people in the first years, which we call numeraries and associates. They don't leave their professions. They remain ordinary lay people, but they aimed to turn everything in their life into an offering to God. And one can seek Christ, find Christ and love Christ even in the midst of daily Life, that daily life gives us the raw material for holiness. You don't have to live a, a religious lifestyle or the way of taking vows and pulling away from the world. You can be in the world and live a life of holiness. The numeraries and associates stay more free in order to be more dedicated to doing the work of Opus Dei. And after much pushing with Rome, St. Jose Maria got the approval around 1950 for the vocation of supernumeraries to be in the work. Men who felt called by God to live the spirit of Opus Dei in married life. The idea of lay people, married and single, called by God to a specific vocation from God to find holiness and be apostles, right where they are in the world was and is, oddly enough, Still a revolutionarily new concept in the church. In a certain sense, we're still breaking new ground 95 years later. When St. Josemaria died 47 years after the founding of the work in 1975, he was amazed by what God had done with a useless instrument, as he called himself. From one man, Opus Dei had spread to all the continents. He knew it was all God's work, work of God, not his work. And he felt blessed to be able to pour out his life, to spend his life doing it. And he called many to follow him, and he has a good number of writings, some just being published now, since he was no, in no hurry to make a name for himself. He knew the ideas would come out when God wanted. But his first book, The Way, is still a call to action, and still can challenge, still rings out today, it can set your heart on fire, too, as it has done to so many. That first point, don't let your life be sterile. Be useful. Blaze a trail. Shine forth with the light of your faith and your love. With your apostolic life, wipe out the trail of filth and slime left by the impure sowers of hatred. And light up all the pathways of the earth with the fire of Christ that you carry in your heart. 
Let's sit with our Lord now. Let's ask his mother Mary, who was always his source of strength too, to help me say yes, as she did. Yes, as St. Josemaria did. Following the plan of Jesus for my life, and we can think in the presence of Jesus how much this world could change if I said a more complete yes to Jesus tonight. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you've communicated to me this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father, Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me.